Welcome to the Jacksonville Bar Association podcast. My name is Craig Shoup. I'm the executive director here at the Jacksonville Bar. And we're excited to welcome the state attorney for the 4th Judicial Circuit, Melissa Nelson, today. Melissa took office as the state attorney for Florida's 4th Judicial Circuit in January of 2017 and was reelected in 2021 without opposition. In the role, she leads more than 300 attorneys, staff, and investigators in their pursuit of justice. She is a double gator, earning her undergraduate and her law degree from the University of Florida. Before we get into our conversation with Melissa, we do want to say a special thank you to all of our Jacksonville Bar Association partners. And at this time, we do have a special message from one of our partners. Hello, my name is Matt Igo, as in I go fishing or I go sailing. I'm a second generation Jacksonville native and a United States Marine Corps veteran. I'm also the founder and president of Seaside Claims Services, a claims investigations agency and process serving company. Our team has over 100 years of experience in the claims investigations industry. We provide comprehensive claims investigations and efficient process service at a minimal cost with a very high return on investment by meeting tight deadlines, providing timely communication with our clients, as well as offering personalized risk management solutions. When you have Seaside Claim Services as your trusted partner in a sea of risk, you will receive a local investigations agency that you can trust, quicker settlements, more favorable verdicts, and a winning reputation. Thank you. A special thank you to all of our partners of the Jacksonville Bar Association. Well, Melissa, thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your day. We know you're super busy, but we appreciate you coming in and sitting down with us for a little while. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about you and kind of what led you down the path to becoming a lawyer and eventually the state attorney. So um, you mentioned that I went to the University of Florida both for undergrad and law school. Um, while there, once I was in law school, I fell in love with both criminal law and trial advocacy. I participated on the trial team there, and we traveled and competed, and I really had a lot of um, fun doing that. And I had grown up always being interested in criminal mystery. My dad spent his entire career in law enforcement, and I was really intrigued by the cases that he would tell us about. Um, so becoming a prosecutor was a, a good marriage of those two interests, being in a courtroom and being interested in crime and mystery. And so that's really um, what brought me to being a prosecutor and going to law school. I think in part, I wanted to have some extra football seasons. <laughs> so it was a good, good reason to stay in, in Gainesville. Um, becoming state attorney was really, it was not something on my bucket list, bucket list and it was not part of my life plans, politics in general was not. Uh, I left the office in 2009 and joined McGuire Woods where I had a really great time and worked with great people and learned a lot. And then ultimately um, made the decision to run in 2016 and return to the office and hopefully return to the office and we were successful in doing that. So you've been a part of numerous cases, both your time in the state attorney's office the first time, this time, and your time at McGuire Woods. What are a few maybe memories or stories from some cases that 
you uh, has stuck with you still to today? Well, you kindly um, let me know some of the questions that you would ask me, and I had to think back about something that really uh, stuck with me in a trial, and it was 9-11. I had just had worked on a murder case. I was a young lawyer, had worked on a murder case for a long time, and for a trial lawyer, really had a aha moment prepared. We, had, um, we were trying a, a woman accused of killing her husband and had determined in, during our investigation that she was having an extramarital affair, and we were able to find her um, lover in Newfoundland. And he agreed to fly to the United States and come here to testify in trial. And while we had disclosed him in discovery, for whatever reason, defense counsel never deposed him and never asked about him. So he was sitting outside of the courtroom and was going to be the first witness we called and was going to be a surprise witness. Um, but the Twin Tower, the first one was hit uh, during opening statement. And this was actually before uh, we had cell phones, but not smartphones. And somebody communicated with the court. Judge Arnold was the trial judge. And he asked us to, to come up to approach the bench. And obviously, the case was mistried. He made an announcement to the jury, um, sent the jury home. And then my witness was here in the United States. And you remember travel, couldn't get home. But so we perpetuated his testimony because I didn't expect that he would return um, to the US. But that was something that really stuck out to me in recalling the, tri uh, the cases I've tried. That's, a, that's an amazing story. I know you've tried so many, but that, to have that there and to find a guy who's willing to come to Newfoundland, <laughs> from Newfoundland to testify against his former lovers, that's just, wow. And really, I'd say over the course of my career as a prosecutor, the things that have mattered the most to me have not been moments in the courtroom, but they've really been uh, discoveries and investigation. I have, I, I've always been been really intrigued by cold cases and working to solve cold cases. Our conviction integrity um, review unit that we stood up a few years ago, it functions in the same way to look at plausible claims of innocence. We have so much available to us in technology today that we didn't when I started, we didn't even when I left in 2009. So that really, those are, those are the moments when we're able to solve a case and bring an answer to a family who's waited for answers for a long time, that, that's where I think those, those are my, my favorite moments in my career. I know it wasn't that long ago, we've got a mutual friend, his father was, had an unsolved homicide for many years and um, his dad um, had passed away as part of it and his, um, his name was Freddie Farah. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that just seeing what you get from technology and to be able to find somebody that's been out there and. I was, waiting, I was waiting to hear um, who you were talking about. The case was remarkable because, you know, for 43 years, the family had obviously just assumed they would all die themselves and not know what happened. And that was solved uh, unusually, not through DNA, but a change in um, the database for latent fingerprints, which was incredible. Uh, so, you know, he tells the story, Bobby, of being a young boy and every police officer he ever met, like pulling on him and saying, hey, could you tell me what happened to my dad? Could you tell me who did this to my dad? So um, it, was, it was something burning um, in him his entire life, a question that couldn't be answered. And then 
he actually, at his restaurant, had cold case detectives who would come through regularly, and he asked them to pull the file and take a look at it. So that, that's pretty remarkable. We've, we have an initiative at the office now where we're assigning, this is interesting to me, we're looking at cold cases. We've had law students and um, college students review a file and actually use a calculus to assign a solvability, a likelihood of solvability value to it. So we have thousands of cold cases in Jacksonville. And we do that to prioritize, okay, this has a solvability um, value that's you know, 75 or above on a scale of zero to 100. Hey, let's, let's look at this. And the goal is, can we bring it up to today's um, forensic technology standards? You know, when I left the state attorney's office in 2009, there was, we were not uh, utilizing wearer's DNA. And that's, if I touch you here, I, I will leave DNA. So if we have a case where a victim's pockets are turned out that happened before we were utilizing that technology, there may be evidence that just we didn't have the ability to test. So we're assigning a, a value to these cases, putting them in order and looking at them, and, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to solve a few. Um, bringing them up to today's standards. It's amazing what technology's done. And genetic genealogy has blown the roof off of everything because I, I can, we can have, and we have a, a, a cold case like this right now, we can have what we call a, well, an unsub, we can have a donor, a suspect, but if his or her DNA is not in our uh, national database, we can't find them, but now through genetic genealogy, we can find their relatives and create, and using traditional genetic genealogy records and all of that, create a family tree and solve cases. Wow. This, and uh, it kind of will lead a little bit into our next question. Um, what are some things you're seeing these new attorneys, you hire a lot of brand new lawyers right out of law school. What do you see that they're not learning in law school that, they sh that you really have to teach them. I mean, it sounds like this a lot of this technology with the specialty DNA, and what's some stuff you're seeing that you really are imparting on these new young lawyers? So when new lawyers come to our office, uh, it takes some years before they're actually in a specialty division where they get the opportunity to be exposed to that technology. However, our recent goal is to allow even young lawyers, fresh eyes, to look at these cases, provide them the training to understand what this technology is, um, what's available to them, and then use it. Because I, 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 don't, I think even being new can be a benefit when you're looking back at, at cases. But in terms of advice, I, I would say, um, I would share something that my dad taught me uh, when I became a lawyer. He wrote me a letter, and I, I share this with lawyer, lawyers when we swear them in. Every email you send, every interaction you have, Every phone conversation you have, every time you're behind the podium in court is just a moment in the span of your career, but it is building what ultimately will become your reputation. Um, and we're not always perfect in those interactions, but if we keep that in the back of our mind, when you're young, you know, you've got a long road ahead of you in terms of building your reputation. And there'll come a time that maybe you want to become a judge or go into private practice. And when people are thinking about hiring you or appointing you, they're going to vet you. So they're going to talk to your colleagues. And so I, I really try, I think that's important advice that you should, and, and that includes not just 
you know, I always say not just when you're behind the podium or talking to opposing counsel, it's, it's how you treat the security staff in your building, um, the janitorial staff when no one's looking. It's all those things over the course of time create, you know, your reputation. And for better or for worse, that then that's the one thing that you hold on to no matter what you, you know, otherwise might win or lose. What do you think is the real difference about practicing here in the Fourth Circuit versus everywhere else around the state? We're always doing things a little different up here. But what's, what's, the, what's the big difference, and why do we have so many folks wanting to practice here versus maybe other places? Because it's nice. I mean, first of all, Jacksonville's a, such a beautiful place. Uh, we have the beach and the water and all of the natural resources, but the bench and the bar are just collegial. Uh, when we, if any of you are from South Florida, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to speak truth here. When we have criminal cases and our opposing counsel um, come from different areas, and I'm thinking specifically of South Florida, there's just a completely different tenor of, um, of how we work against uh, and with one another. There's a, a different, and, and so from what I know from my friends in South Florida, that's, that's the norm. I mean, here, it's still a, a place where I think people show great deference to the bench and hopefully professionalism and deference to one another. And I know one thing, uh, I say maybe other than the efforts the bar does on professionalism, you've got, I know you're a member of the Jacks Bar, your chief assistant's a member, a lot of your staff, of your attorneys are members. Why do you think it's important to be part of the local bar? So I, I, this is from an outside, an outside perspective, and when I say outside, I did not come up participating in leadership in the bar, but I think that is one of the single most important gifts that the bar offers lawyers. One, it offers the opportunity to network, which is incredibly important. It offers the opportunity, obviously, as we grow in our careers and develop niche practices, it's important to have friends that are at other firms or in other businesses that can either refer you work or hire you um, as their counsel. But I would say the leadership opportunities are really significant, especially for young lawyers. And it serves what I've seen, having served on the JNC for some period of time, the bar seems to serve as a launch pad for, for people who want to, to do other things, whether it's run for office, seek an appointment to the bench. But the bar leadership is, is both unique and just offers a great opportunity to lawyers. So I'll tell you one of my favorite questions in this whole series is, um, what are some favorite places you and your family like to have dinner? So my, well, when I saw that, my husband is a great cook, like, and has gotten just better and better uh, as, you know, our marriage has gotten longer. And so we all, including all three of my kids, really enjoy his cooking. But when we do go out, um, we live over in Ortega Forest and we like to take the boat to high tide. Mm -hmm. um, I think the food there is, is great. But as a general rule, we don't, we don't go out to eat all that much. So what are some of your favorite things he cooks? Oh my gosh. So he makes excellent Thai food. He is an incredible uh, grill master, but he uses the iron skillet for almost every single thing he does. So he sears everything. Uh, I make homemade salad dressings. Everything he does is, is really good. And because he worked in restaurants growing up, 
He's also very good when we're low in the refrigerator or the pantry at being able to put things together and create a great meal. I, on the other hand, I, I, I spend a lot of money getting all the ingredients and make a mess and have to follow a recipe, but um, he can do almost anything. I think that's kind of the, I think you've really, probably more than anybody, have really hit the idea behind this is um, the idea of how you connect with your family. And that's kind of the idea of seeing that connection of you and your family, having all those dinners together sounds just an amazing opportunity for you guys to always stay connected. So breaking bread with our kids is actually the place where we learn about their day, talk, and it's not always perfect. I was laughing this morning, our family dinner last night blew up with an argument between <laughs> two of our three, but it, it really is the, the dinner table is the place where we all um, connect and laugh. So... Yes, we um, we like to cook at home. Well, um, I appreciate you coming in today. We've had a great time. Um, if somebody wants to maybe reach out to you about maybe uh, they've got a, a law student or a, a college student in their family that may want to volunteer in your projects, or maybe they're interested in becoming a prosecutor, what's the best way to kind of get a hold of you and maybe reach out about something like that? Great. So. Um, obviously, we have a website for our office. My email is mwnelson at coj.net. And we would really, I appreciate the opportunity if there are people interested. Um, recruiting is something that we've spent a lot of time investing in. And we've hired some great lawyers. And there are great lawyers at the state attorney's office and great staff, too. So if anybody watching either is themselves interested in potentially pursuing a career with us or knows somebody who might be, um, please reach out to me and put in the subject line, job. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate everyone who joined us today, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode.